0: Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 26 minutes to 9 the time. Good morning, time for your Mediated Conversation this morning. Last week, the Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon published a new bill that seeks to reform the way state-owned entities will be run and how they'll be managed. In total, there are around 700 different entities that are owned by government. Only several of them are actually run by the Public Enterprises Ministry, really the big ones, including SOEs like ESCOM, Transnet, Denel, and sort of SAA. The main idea in these proposals is that to put all of the big SOEs into one Big holding company. The state would be the only shareholder in the holding company. This would mean that the companies could be run in a very different way. One of the stated intentions of the bill is actually to protect SOEs from political interference. And over the last 20 years or so, there's been huge political fights about who runs SOEs. The ANC's deployment committee, we understand, has often played a role in who would be appointed to positions on their boards and who would be the CEO of a particular state owned entity. So then, will these proposals work and what changes? What they make first this morning you'll hear from Carol Payton, a writer at large at News twenty four business then. Uh, you'll hear from Professor Peter Goss. He spoke to us briefly yesterday, Professor of Practice in Corporate Governance, Forensic Auditing and Fraud Prevention at the University of Johannesburg. And finally, Iraj the Chief Executive of Pan-African Investment and Research. We did actually ask to speak to the Department of Public Enterprises on this. So far, we haven't heard back from them. If uh, they do come, become available, uh, if they would like to respond to anything that's said today, happy to give them the time uh, to do that tomorrow. We start then with carol payton the writer at large at news 24 business carol good morning
1: good morning Stephen.
0: what kind of reforms are being proposed
1: well it's it's what it proposes is is creating a big a sort of asset manager kind of state holding company which would then own all the state's shares in the soes in the state-owned enterprises so you know, they haven't said which ones exactly, but I think the intention is for all of those which have, you know, a kind of commercial mandate, in other words, you know, they sell things um to business or to the public, like transnet, um, ESCOM, et cetera, to be under this, you know, to be to be subsidiaries of this, this holding company. And um and and then this holding company <clears throat> could potentially be listed on on the stock exchange. So, yes, the state would hold all the equity in the SOEs, but but investors could also invest in the the state holding company um, through the stock exchange ultimately. So, it's a kind of way of raising money for state-owned enterprises, and it's also a way of kind of putting them at arm's length. Um, from the state and and saying like we're going to manage these things differently now we're not going to have line ministers coming in here interfering appointing boards firing boards um, leaning on boards we're going to do it differently we're going to do it in a professional way
0: so then an ordinary person or an investor or a big foreign investor (laughs) could buy shares in this holding company and would end up sort of controlling shares in transnet and Eskom through the jse
1: Yes, exactly, and I'm I'm sure that you know it would not be. Uh, I would I would imagine it's not stated explicitly. I would imagine that the state retains the, you know, the majority majority uh, shareholding. But yes, that that is that is the that is the theory. Yes.
0: Okay how would those shareholders the people who buy those shares so, so there are ways that that in companies in, pri- in, in sort of companies that are traded that shareholders are able to assert some control they can do things on the board etc 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 that wouldn't happen here as you say the government would retain control they would still make the decisions. <coughs>
1: I would imagine so i would imagine so but i think um you know it's not stated explicitly because the you know that that is not in the bill but and that would be a later step but I, it's i would imagine so um the difference would be though let's say if we look at how the how the companies operate now and how they'd operate under this this holding company now let's say if uh, if, you know if, if transnet Wants to to borrow money, um, or or engage in a whole lot of transactions like dispose assets, buy assets, or whatever, it has to get the permission of the of the finance minister or the public enterprises minister or both, and and now you would have, and <clears throat> then under the holding company you'd have more professional management, who would go out and you know just do these transactions. It's much more uh, nimble. It's much easier to do business. Um, it's removes some of the red tape that you have. Um, In these companies,
0: the people who run these companies, so the people appointed to the board and the CEOs, I mean, would in our current political terms, the ANC and maybe its deployment committee still really be in control?
1: Well, yeah, for sure. Um, I think so. I mean, I think that the, the bill is, is one of the big holes in the bill. It's like what happens to the subsidiaries. So the idea is these companies become subsidiaries, but but usually um, a holding company would appoint the board of subsidiaries. So does that? that it's not clear whether that happens or how that happens. Um, <clears throat> because obviously something like ESCOM is still going to need its own board. It's going to need to be run, you know, it, it's still – Run um, in line with Companies Act, so um, it's also going to need its own board. Who who appoints that board um, is 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 not clear um, at the stage.
0: Do you think people, um, whoever, would be wanting to buy shares? In, an, in a company like this, if they have no control and if the ANC's deployment committee is still deciding who gets to be appointed, I mean, you have a, another story today that there's still no a clear date for when we'll get a new CEO at Eskom, for example. I mean, and that's a sort of political problem in a way, um, or the result of politics, <laughs> let me put it like that. Um, so, so would someone really invest money, a private person invest money well, when they have no control?
1: <clears throat> well, you know, you know, there are lots of passive investors, you know, pension funds and so on and they and they do like to invest in kind of, you know, prod infrastructure type organizations that have a long sort of dated return on on money so it's not totally far-fetched but obviously you would need um, these companies to be functioning properly and to be profitable you know at the moment we don't have either Eskom or or Transnet you know able to pay their own way you know they're being supported by by the fiscus. so um, so so yeah it's it's it, theoretically it works so if you look at sort of the malaysian singaporean um, and even i think i'm not sure exactly about china but in those two examples which is what they've modeled this on <clears throat> you know, you have these very big state-owned holding companies which have floated on, on on the stock exchanges and which are very attractive investments. So the issue is, you know, would would a holding company that has in it Eskom, Transnet, Donal, uh, et cetera, be an attractive <clears throat> destination for investors?
0: Um, we've seen so many promises of reform in the past and 11 years ago a management expert called Ria Piecha conducted an investigation into the structure of SOEs and her report um, I've not been able to find it on the government website thankfully it is still available elsewhere maybe I missed it but virtually nothing has happened since then is the politics at all different now that would allow real reform of SOEs to happen?
1: Look, that for me is the million-dollar question because because I don't think so. So um, what has stopped, you know, originally in 1994, you know, the Department of Public Enterprises was created. The idea was to fix up these companies, corporatize them, and and allow for, 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 for some sort of privatization or private equity investment. That never happened because of the political opposition. Then we had the Ria Pieja um, Commission, which also... You know, suggested a similar thing. Also, you know, got buried. Um, now we have the SOE Council, which is the Presidential Council, which which um, the Department of Public Enterprises says they are following the recommendations of the SOE of the SOE Council. But um, there's no evidence that that's the case. The SOE Council have never really produced any document to say this is, you know, this is what we think. So it's there are some people, of course, on the SOE Council who who support this. Um, but but not every I know I know for a fact that not everyone does. But the real issue is how does this thing go down in the ANC? You know, can it actually fly? And um, I think it's going to be very very unlikely that it can fly. You know, you're going to tell um, Guido Mantashe, for instance, that no, he's no longer got control over over the central energy funds. Um, you know, and it's and its subsidiaries. You know, it's it's removed from him. Um, I can't see him him, him liking that. Um, I can't see the ANC liking, liking this model. And the political work, the kind of groundwork hasn't been done. So I think it's a bit of a shot in the dark almost. We know that Gordon's been working on this proposal for, for years now, um, but the political groundwork hasn't been done. So it's, it's highly questionable as whether this thing will actually fly
0: um, in a way, this gets to the, the heart of the problem. You use Gweta Mantasha, the energy minister, as an example, but, I mean, there are plenty of others. That really this reform um, would remove some power from politicians, and they have immense power. I mean, they're not where are supposed to, but they do have power over SAEs at the moment. So it would seem unlikely that they'll ever give up that power if it were not the ANC, if there were another power, party in power. The same would probably apply. The principle is the same.
1: Yeah look that's that is that is true i mean you have if you have no another government that comes in um they're also going to believe that they should be the ones to appoint the right people to escom and so for instance and so they're also going to want to have that kind of of um of power so it's you know it's it's not just an ANC thing it is in the nature of, of 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 politicians and 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 ruling parties that you know why have power if you're not going to use it
0: Carol Payton, thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate the time. A writer at large at News 24 Business. You with SAFM. 16 minutes now to 9. Continuing your mediated conversation around the proposals for reform of our state-owned entities. Well, yesterday morning we spoke to Professor Peter Goss, a professor of practice and corporate governance, forensic auditing and fraud prevention at the University of Johannesburg. And I asked Professor Goss that after the period of state capture, where SOEs had been the victims of corruption during that period, would this be a solution?
2: Well, let's
0: use your analogy of state capture as a point of reference.
2: One of the fundamental problems with state capture was the super-centralization of power. This act makes a provision for the president to serve as the sole representative of the holding company. In other words, the sole shareholder representative of the holding company. So if you ever wanted to see an example of a destruction of the principle of distribution of the balance of power it is in this bill. It over-centralizes power, it allows the president far-reaching authority uh, that he could exercise even without consultation with the board of directors. The only control for this will have to be non-executive directors who are truly independent not politically affiliated, and appointed by means of a public inclusive process that the Act doesn't provide for, incidentally, uh, an inclusive process that involves the citizens, the true shareholders, identifying appropriately knowledgeable, skilled, and qualified, non-executive independent directors. Without that check and balance, we're headed for yet another dilemma.
0: Okay, so you're suggesting that the stated intention of the bill, which is to insulate these SOEs from political interference, actually does the complete opposite.
2: It centralises power too much, uh, saying that the sole representative of the holding company, shareholder representative, in other words, will be an office bearer. Uh, so, you know, we have many concerns around centralization of various authorities in the presidency and creation of structures in the presidency, this continues to build on that. Let's just look at the section 5, 6, 7, and 8 of the bill, which sets out the powers of this shareholder, of shareholders. Uh, and of course, I argue that this is a single shareholder representative. They will argue, those who write, wrote this bill, that, well, the board can be a check and balance. I dispute that. The best check and balance for dominant shareholders, uh, majority shareholders, is minority shareholders. And in this case, you don't have minority shareholders. So what's your option? Get citizens, the true shareholders, involved in the process of oversight and monitoring through civil society and other organs.
0: So, I mean, it would seem to me unlikely that politicians would give up power. And there is, it seems, political influence at SOEs. I mean, is asking politicians to give up power at, over SOEs like asking cabinet to reduce the VIP protection unit bill?
2: Absolutely, (laughs) Um, I I don't know why we're tinkering with the uh, structure of uh, state-owned entities. Each state-owned company and the enterprises that will now also fall under this holding uh, company, they all have uh, what should be an independent majority non-executive board. The trouble with those boards is in the main, they're politically influenced and in the main, appointed by a single shareholder in the guise of a minister. We all know the tinkering by ministers with state-owned company boards, even trying to remove these boards, that should be independent, and multiple court rulings, Prasa, uh, a recent ruling in Johannesburg, in Gauteng, in relation to uh, an entity in Gauteng where the MSC was tinkering with the board. Um, politicians have no influence on the running of state-owned companies because the politician, the minister, is a shareholder proxy. Independent boards are the solution. History tells us we don't seem to be able to allow independence to prevail.
0: Professor Peter Goss speaking there from a conversation we had with him yesterday, Professor of Practice and Corporate Governance, Forensic Auditing and Fraud Prevention at the University of Johannesburg. In a moment, the economist Diraj Abedian, Chief Executive at Pan-African Investment and Research. We conversation here on SAFM about the proposed reforms for state-owned entities. will continue. It's 11 minutes to nine. Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Nine minutes to nine, continue your mediated conversation around the reforms that are being mooted for state-owned entities. Iraj Obedience, Chief Executive at Pan-African Investment and Research. Hiraj, good morning. Good morning, Stephen, and good morning to our listeners. Is there a danger in these reforms that despite the stated intention to stop corruption, to stop political interference, it could actually be worse under these changes?
3: Absolutely, there is a danger of corruption, There's, there is a danger of embedded systemic uh, second-round of asset capture and from a purely asset management point of view, not a, a danger, I can bet on it, anybody who's been asset management would testify to this, that by putting a whole lot of diverse infrastructure or non-infrastructure assets together, you devalue the total some of the total becomes less than uh, what they would have been separate. And that is the corporate experience over the past 20 years in South Africa and overseas. So those are the three key risks in this bill, which is very unfortunate.
0: Uh, You're going to have to explain that a little bit. Why it is that if you put things together, they become worthless.
3: Yeah, I mean, look at Anglo-America as a good example that we all know. Put platinum, coal, iron, ore, gold, uh, uh, manganese together, uh, and then that the total value of Anglo-America was going down, was being undervalued in the capital market at JAC and London because a whole lot of diverse uh, type of assets with different type of return on investment were cobbled together. So what did Anglo do, which is the same as what others did in the United States, in Europe, in South Africa, they say, look, if you put coal separate and platinum separate and iron ore and so on, we get better value. And different investors are invested, in, interested in and are prepared to put their money in platinum, but not in coal. If you put coal and, and, and platinum together, if I'm anti-carbon or uh, carbon footprint, um, global warming, I won't invest in Anglia. But the minute that you separate them, I'm prepared to pay the premium for for, for for platinum that's the idea if you put transnet the nail uh Escam, first of all these are all broken and bankrupt entities to begin with so the whole concept is so badly conceptualized technically i'm speaking that you first if you want to maximize return on assets or unlock value if you prefer by taking it to JSE or elsewhere First, you get those assets in the best shape that you can, best competent management, best infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. And then you take them to the market, not the other way around. Go to the market, you get zero for it.
0: Iraj, I remember you playing a role uh, very clearly in highlighting how consultancies, particularly McKinsey, were basically ripping off Eskimo during the state capture era. Both McKinsey and Bain and company had to pay back the money they uh, really, I suppose, they we're not due, so maybe I can say try to steal from Eskimo and, and SARS. Now we have this window in a big conversation around reform, and I can just imagine maybe I'm too cynical, but I can just imagine how, in this particular moment where SOEs could be about to go through a big change, these consultancies might think, well, this is the right moment for us to get back in the game.
3: Absolutely. I mean, they're licking their lips, as they say, and uh Uh, Equally, KPMG and PwC and Deloitte are licking their lips, because all of these, apart from the sort of restructuring advisory board that they would require, each of them would have to be audited. Which one of them would have to be valued? And that is not the type of thing that McKinsey and the Benz and Co will do. And they will rip it off at top level, then they will uh, subcontract it to these audit companies with, with a very, very questionable track record and um, to do valuation uh, and that it will open a pandora's box um, and and i'm absolutely certain it will do
0: um our, there's another issue which is really we need to look at the actual model of soe so as i understand it An SOE is supposed to do something that can be a government service and charge for it so that the service is to pay for itself. So in other words, there's a railway line or there's electricity. uh, That's seen as a government function. And in the end, you pay to use it and the service is supposed to pay for itself. It's called a sort of corporate model. Do we need to look at the entire thing? I mean, if the window for reform is now open, do we actually need to look at other ideas and maybe relook? I mean, maybe go... All the way, one way, maybe, you know, Transnet should just be part of the transport department, full stop, or go all the way the other way. Transnet should be completely privatized, full stop.
3: I think we need to absolutely correctly, see, Stephen, we need to, remember this concept of a state-owned enterprise is a late 19th, early 20th century concept where technology was different, where governments and the level of developments were different, transparency and access to information was different, the concept of a strategic role of development of a nation, growth promotion, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, were very different from today. This that having said that, there is a still phenomenal and considerable role for state owned enterprises in the concept of network industry network uh, uh, enterprises. But They need to be completely restructured. Their mandate has to be realigned with the realities of the economy today. For example, when you have technology enabling us to produce electricity and use it on a spot or in the region or on a farm, on a factory, on a mine, etc., etc., the concept of a national grid is becoming increasingly a joke. The same way that not so long ago, Telcom, if you remember, they had their poles and national network and the wires going and cables going and connecting the nations. Technology changed their function. It doesn't mean that they don't have any function. Their function of tel- Telecom as a strategic asset was redefined. The same thing we have to do with each of these enterprises and optimize the contribution that they can make to the development of the country and then define their mandate, populate them with the right people, and not think that by cobbling them together to a holding company, it's just a very, very unfortunate and bad and convoluted concept.
0: Someone is going to try and make the case now that there should be large scale privatizations. The best way to get capital, they will say. Uh, the private sector will run it better, they will say. Is there any truth to that?
3: I would not, again, uh, uh, there is the ideologue who would want to, because they're frustrated with government corruption and inefficiency, they will want to push it the other way. The global best model is you cannot privatize ports, you cannot privatize boundaries of a of nation for all kinds of reasons, especially in the global geopolitical sense. So what you can do is to identify the areas that can be concession to the private operators. That's not privatizing. That is defining the absolute optimum balance between government or national regulation together with private sector efficiency. And if you do that, and that's not unique to us, it's not unique to Africa, Europe, or America, all of them have had to learn that this is the best way to strike a balance between maintaining the public good element of an estate owned enterprise operation, but at the same time benefiting from the efficiency Efficient operations of those rails, ports, airports, etc. etc. That's a model that we should consider.
0: Thank you, Chief Executive of Pan African Investment and Research. My thanks also to Professor Peter Goss, a Professor of Practice at the University of Johannesburg, and Carol Payton, Writer at Large at News 24 Business. Just uh, to remind you, we did ask the Department of Public Enterprises to come on to comment, to explain for themselves what they were doing. Unfortunately, no response. I must say, disappointing, actually, because we've heard very little from public enterprises for quite some time, uh, despite some requests on the show. So the door is open to you, Mamson and sirs, to come on the radio tomorrow to respond in any way.